0: All right, we're going to be in Isaiah 50 this morning, as you uh, just saw, we are in the third servant song, and so if you've been going through our series in Isaiah, all of these songs are uh, basically poems, uh, poetry that have been written that point us to who the Messiah was going to be and what the Messiah was going to do, And, and we've been going through these in the hopes that we would be able to truly celebrate what Christmas means when it comes around December 25th. And so we're going to continue that today. But before we go any further, if you would, join me in prayer, please. Father, we come to you right now. And God, we, um, we just thank you so much, Father, that, um, Lord, you teach us. Lord, we, we, we don't really have the capacity to truly understand the weight of what it means that you became a man, Lord, that you died for our sins. Uh, Father, we, we feel it, we love it, we appreciate it. But Lord, there's so much of it that we just don't grasp. And Father, I just pray this morning, God, that you would help us, Father, that you would um just unpack more of who you are to us of what you have done for us. And and Father, I pray, God, that we would be able to truly celebrate you, Father, celebrate um you coming to earth and and giving your life a ransom for many. Father, I just pray this morning that um Lord, you would give me a mouth of those who are taught. Father, I pray, God, that I would be able to speak your word uh, clearly. Father, I pray that I would be able to um uh, just be led by your spirit, Father, Lord. I know as long as your spirit is in charge and he is doing the work here this morning, then, uh, Lord, your will will be accomplished. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that through me this morning. And, Father, I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, if you got an outline, they, um, you've got my intro on it. We'll go on it here in a minute. If you didn't, there's one out front in the foyer on one of the podiums out there. Also, uh, you can get it on our Facebook page, and so if you have your phone, you're welcome to pull up Facebook, just the Wells Baptist page. Don't be scrolling through Facebook, but um, you are welcome to pull that up on Wells Baptist, and uh, you'll see the outline there as well. Uh, But um, one of the things that I didn't put on the outline is that when I was a kid, my mother would come into my room, especially when I was a teenager. She would come in my room, and she would say, Kevin, time to get up. And I would normally never hear her or at least ignore it and, and just continue to sleep. And then when I was old enough to have an alarm, she would come in there and she would take the alarm and she would set it on, my, if I was sleeping on my side, true story, my sister's here this morning, she can back me up. She would set it on my ear while it's sitting there going, bang, bang, Y'all remember those alarms? And so the, the alarm clock is sitting on my ear going off and I would continue to sleep. Uh, my mama, if I was laying on my back, she'd set it on my chest. She'd come in there and shake me. She'd do everything, and most of the time, I was not going to get up. But my dad, on the other hand, I could hear his footsteps coming down the hall. This is a true story. I could hear my daddy's footsteps coming down the hall, and if I heard daddy's footsteps coming to my room in the morning. I'm up and on my feet and probably in my clothes before he gets in my room. Um, If I heard the, the rattle of my daddy's belt buckle, the fear of God came into me, and I was on my feet and I was awake from my sleep, and one of the things that I have learned through studying this lesson is that it wasn't that I couldn't hear my mother, the problem was I had trained myself to ignore because it wasn't important if my mom uh told me to get up. I could continue to sleep, it didn't matter. My dad, on the other hand, I knew that if Daddy comes home from work, he worked third shift at that time, if daddy comes home from work and I'm still in the bed, I'm not up working doing something, I'm gonna hear that belt coming after me because I know better. I've been raised different. We don't just sleep all day long at, at our house. And so I, I, I trained myself that my dad, and I can remember when I went to work uh, as a young man, when well, me and Jesse first got married, my first job was at a plant here in town called Gabriel Ride Control. And I can remember um, I still couldn't hear the alarm, or at least I wouldn't listen to it, and I would oversleep. And my boss finally come to me one day because I was a very hard worker. I mean, I, if, as long as I got there on time, I was going to do my job better than anybody else in the building. But the problem was that I couldn't get there on time. And so my boss finally came to me and he said, Listen, I've gave you enough warnings. If you're late again, you're fired. That was enough motivation for me because back then, I don't know how y'all do it today, but back then when the man and the woman got married, I had a responsibility. I didn't have a choice as to whether or not I could go to work. I couldn't just quit my job. I couldn't just get fired like a lot of folks can today. Um, that I, I didn't know anything about unemployment or things that are going to keep me up. If, if I don't go to work, we don't eat. It's just that simple. And so one of the things that I learned real quick was that I got to figure out how to hear this alarm. And so I started setting uh, tricks and ways that I would make sure that I would hear this alarm when it goes up. And I trained myself and I disciplined myself to make sure that I hear that alarm. Well, now, I still, today, if the, as soon as the alarm goes off, I hear it, I get up, I'm out of bed, and I'm at it. It's just that simple. And so I have had to learn and train myself and discipline myself to be able to listen to the things that I need to listen to in my life. Well, if you'll notice in your intro, God's children have always had a listening problem, all right? God's children have always had a listening problem. Their father would come to them over and over with his words of instructions for them, but they would not listen, they would not obey. And this resulted in them being destroyed as a nation and only a remnant of this entire nation was saved. You might remember from our studies in Isaiah that the entire northern kingdom was wiped out by Assyria. And then 90% of the Jewish kingdom, of, of the Jewish of the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, was wiped out. Only 10% was saved. It's called the remnant that God talks about as we read through Isaiah. And so they were destroyed because they would not listen. Look with me, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, just a few scriptures to back this up. God tells Isaiah, You go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. In other words, it's kind of like when I was a kid. It wasn't that I didn't hear my mother saying, Kevin, it's time to get up. It's just that I didn't have ears to hear her. I had ears to hear my dad because I knew what was coming. And so I learned how to listen to dad because of the discipline and because of the things that I suffered through his wrath, if you will. And my mom, on the other hand, was so tenderhearted and so gentle, and she was so tender-hearted and gentle that I literally felt sorry about her trying to whip me because it didn't hurt, so I'd have to muster up some tears just to try to make her feel better about whipping me. That's the, that's the way mom was growing up. But dad, on the other hand, you didn't have to muster up no tears. <laughs> tears came naturally with dad. And so... Here we have the nation of Israel, and God finally tells them, God has been so kind, so compassionate, so good to them, they have trained themselves to not listen to him, to not obey him, and to not care. And so now Isaiah's job is to come to them and say this, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. And then in verse 10, he said, make the heart of this people dull, Isaiah. How's he going to do that? He's going to keep preaching the Word of God. And the more he says it, the more numb they get to it. The more mom came in there to tell me to get up, the more I ignored it. The more I continued to sleep. And the less I heard her over and over and over again. He said, make the heart of this people dull. Make their ears heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Also in Psalm 81, verse 11 through 13, it says but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. You ever wondered why the world is the way that it is today? It's because you and I as sinners would not listen to the voice of God and the world has been given over to our stubborn hearts and everyone does whatever is right in their own eyes. They follow their own counsel. And then look at verse 13 of Psalm 81. Oh, that my people would listen to me. So what's the problem? We won't listen and we won't walk in the ways of God. That is the problem with the world. That is the problem with Israel. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? All right, look at Isaiah chapter 48, verse 8. You have never heard, you have never known, from of old your ear has not been opened. This is what God said to Israel through the prophets. Go with me again. I could do this all day, but just for one more. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2. Why when I came, he's talking to Israel here, was there no man? Why when I called, was there no one to answer? In other words, God is speaking to his remnant, his saved 10% that have been disciplined and led into captivity because of their sin. And now he's saying to them, I came to you. I tried to warn you. I tried to correct you. I gave you my word. I showed you the way to go. Why, when I came, did nobody listen? And the problem was we have tuned our hearts and our minds to not listen to the word of God. But look at what God's command is in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 1. And you see this in Isaiah over and over. What's the first two words? Hear this. Go to every chapter in Isaiah, and this is what you're going to see over and over. Jacob, listen to me. Hear me. I'm I'm speaking to you. Open your ears to me. And then go with me to Isaiah chapter 48, verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. So I am your God. Open your ears to me. Listen to me. Look at Isaiah 49, verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands. Here he goes outside of Israel and talks to the world. Everybody should listen to me. And then Isaiah chapter 51 verse 1. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. And then Isaiah 51 verse 4. Give attention to me, my people. Give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the people. And then Isaiah 51 verse 7, and I'll stop after this one. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. And so again, what's the point that I'm trying to get to this morning? We don't listen to God. And God commands us, church, listen to me. Now in Mark chapter 4 verses 10 through 25, Jesus actually teaches his disciples the exact same lesson. He's speaking to a massive crowd of people and basically he's talking to them about their hearing problem. And he explains that the reason why he teaches in parables is because of the fact that only those that God is actually calling for salvation and only those that God is working in their heart and drawing to him only those are the ones that are actually going to open their ears and hear what he has to say. And the same is true this morning. There will be many of you here this morning that you probably have already tuned me out. You're not really listening to what I have to say. And it's not even my word that I'm trying to give you, right? It's God's word. But here he says, The reason I preach in parables is the same reason God told Isaiah to keep on hearing, but they're not going to hear Keep on preaching, but they're not going to understand. But the ones that are to be saved, they're going to hear it. They're going to desire to hear more. Look at just a few of those with me. Mark chapter 4, verse 10 through 25, if you'd look at that for for just a few minutes. Because this is important. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, so here he's talking about the people that God has called, right? But the ones that God hasn't called, the ones that are outside, everything is in parables. And look what he says in verse 12. Here's why. So that, and he quotes Isaiah, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. In other words, if they really open their ears, if they really listen, but the problem is they have hardened their hearts against God so much and they have decided that they don't care what God has to say so much that God said, I'm going to give you over to your counsel. I'm going to give you over your ways. You don't want my word? I'm not going to make you hear it. Are y'all listening to me this morning? If you want to... Go your way, I'm going to let you do it. And you're going to see what a world looks like when you go your way. But then Jesus tells a parable to help them understand why it's important that you have ears to listen. And he tells about the parable of the sower. And he says, a man went out to sow, and he sowing seed, and some uh, fell on the path, the hardened path, and it didn't penetrate. And because it didn't penetrate... The devil came and the birds came and they snatched it away, right away. And does anybody remember from the parable, what is the seed? The word of God. And so here he's saying that because you don't have ears to hear, because you don't listen, the devil is going to come and snatch this seed away from some of you. Some of you, the cares of this world, are going to choke it out and it's not going to be able to penetrate and be able to to actually produce fruit. But some of you are actually going to have ears to hear. And when that Word of God penetrates into your heart, it's going to produce fruit for God every time. And so what happens is, if you were to go down with me to verse um, 20, um, look with me at verse 21 through 25 of that same chapter. And He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And look at verse 22. For nothing is hidden. We're still talking about the same thing, right? Nothing is hidden. It's not that you can't understand the Word of God. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. In other words, God means for you to understand it, if you will. Nor is anything secret except to come to the light. And look what he says in verse 23. If anyone has what? Ears to what? He didn't say if anyone has ears, because guess who Guess who has ears in this building this morning? But how many of you actually have ears to hear? That's the question. And so here he's going to give a warning. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What do you want us to hear, Lord? Go to verse 24 with me. And he said to them, what does he want them to hear? Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, what measure are we using? We're using a measure of how much you hear the Word of God. What kind of measure are you holding out this morning as the Word of God is preached to you? How much of it are you trying to take in? Do you all understand what he's saying? He says, for with whatever measure you use, it, and what is it? What you hear, the Word of God it will be measured to you. So in other words, church, y'all stay with me, if all you want to hear from the Word of God this morning is a teaspoon, and that's the measure that you use to pay attention to it, what is Jesus saying that you're going to understand? That's what you will get out of it. But if you open your ears to hear, and you will hold open your 55-gallon drum. With whatever measure you use, Jesus promises you that the knowledge of God, the Word of God will be measured back to you. And not only that, but what else at the end there? Until it's overflowing, running out. Are y'all with me this morning? We may be here for a while. So what kind of measure... Do you come into the house of God looking to hear what the Word of God says? Because if all you come in here with is a teaspoon, get ready. All you're going to leave with is a teaspoon. If you come in here with a heart that is like the hardened path and the seed falls on it and can't penetrate it, you will leave here with nothing and the devil will snatch that Word away from you. He may do it with sleep this morning. Some of y'all didn't get into bed till late last night, did you? I, ain't, I got to sleep about 3 o'clock this morning, but I'm still awake. But some of you didn't get into bed late last night. You know what the devil's going to do to snatch that word away from you? He's going to sprinkle you with a little pixie dust. And before long, you're going to be gone. Because whatever measure you use to listen to that word, That's the measure you are going to take home. And what was the problem with Israel that got them destroyed? They didn't listen. They didn't listen. I could stop right there this morning, could I not? That's a word in and of itself. But we're going to go to see what God says in Isaiah chapter 50. And we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to listen to to Israel's failure. We're going to see what we need to listen to. Because... That's what He's been calling us to all through Isaiah 49. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Everybody, listen to me. All right, Lord, what do you want us to listen to? Well, in verses 1 through 3, let's start with, we're going to listen to Israel's failure. So, I want you to remember that Israel is in a dark place. They've been carried off to captivity. 10% of them have been saved, but they are in a dark trial. You ever been in a dark place in your life? That's where they are. And now I want you to be able to notice that in verse 1, thus says the Lord. So we need to listen, right? What does the Lord say? First thing He asks is this. Israel, you're in a dark place. And Israel has been accusing God of it being His fault. How many of you, when something bad happens in your life, you look at God and go, why did you let this happen to me? Right? Because he's in control of everything, so it's his fault no matter what happens in your life, right? Well, Israel felt the same way. God's been telling them, I'm going to save you, I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to give you a kingdom, I'm going... Y'all remember what we've been preaching all these weeks, right? And then notice what Israel said in Isaiah 49, verse 14 through 16. Notice what they accused God of in these verses. Isaiah 49, verse 14 through 16, Isaiah, um, Zion, Israel says, The Lord has forsaken me. You see that? They're in this dark place, and who are they blaming for it? God. And what did He do? He just turned His back on them. Is that what happened? No. That's not what happened. They turned their back on God. That's what happened. But now they accuse God. Here's the reason I'm in this dark place. The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. It's His fault, right? And then look what He says in verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she shouldn't have no compassion on the son of her womb? And let's be honest. The answer to that sometimes could be what? Possible. But is it likely for most mothers? No. But now look what he says. Even these may forget, but I won't forget you. And then in verse 16, look what he says. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So what is God saying to them? I haven't forgot you. I'm still going to build this kingdom. I'm still going to lay the destroyer's waste that have come. I'm going to destroy all your enemies. I'm going to give you the kingdom I promised you. I'm going to bring you out of this darkness. But they're still blaming God, saying, You've turned your back. There's no hope for us. There's no light in my darkness. And then look what he, in Isaiah 50, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce? So here's what he does. He asks them some questions that they know the answer to. In this day and time, if a man wanted to divorce his wife, he could just write her a certificate of divorce. It wasn't supposed to be that way but he could just write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. And then the law said he could never bring her back to him and they could never be remarried again. All right? God never did that. And so God says to them, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? In other words, if I've really forsaken you, if I've really forgotten you, and I'm not going to do the things I promised you I'm going to do, show me the certificate of divorce. Guess what? They can't do it. And then look what he says next. Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Because again, in this day and time, if you owed a debt to somebody, you could actually sell yourself into their debt to work for them, or you could sell your children into the debt to work off for a period of time until that debt was paid for. And he says, to which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Since it's my fault, And let me ask you a question. Does God owe anybody a debt? So what's the answer to this? There is none. You didn't sell us to a creditor. You didn't divorce our mother. Remember, these are the children. They've been in Babylonian exile for 70 years, and now God is going to deliver them, but they don't see any hope. And so he's saying, I didn't send your mother away. In other words, your parents, the ones that that went into this land with you. I didn't send them away with the certificate of divorce. You're not the children that I sold into slavery to to be able to pay for some debt that I owed. And so what does he say? Here's what your failure was, Israel, in Isaiah 50 verse 1. Behold, for your iniquities you were sold. And for your transgressions your mother was sent away. In other words, it's because of your sin. It's because of your rebellion against God. It's because of your ways that you are in the darkness that you are in. And is that not true for each and every one of us? Now, don't get it twisted this morning. I'm not saying that just because you have a child that's sick that you have done something specifically that God is punishing you for this. No, the darkness in the world in general and all of it that we suffer as human beings are a result of our sins and our transgressions And we deserve everything and more at whatever the Lord allows us to go through. That's the truth of it. And so if you're in darkness this morning, it's not the Lord's fault. It's our fault. It's what we have done. So we see Israel's failure right there. And then I want you to be able to notice that he has to tell them in verse 2. He says, Why when I came was there no man? In other words... I came to you before this darkness came and I tried to lead you the right way. I told you I would save you. I told you that I would deliver you and instead you ran right back to the very places that darkness is. Let me prove it to you. In Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1 through 2, look what happened here. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance in their darkness and in their trouble, but not by my spirit that they may add sin to sin. And look at verse 2. Who set out to go down to where? God had told them, because of your sin, the Assyrians are coming. You're going to be in darkness. Because of your sin, the Babylonians are coming. You're going to be in darkness. But I will save you if you'll trust me. And instead of trusting God, you know what they did? They went to Egypt. They said, Egypt has so many horses, so many armies, so many people with bows and arrows, and they can save us from our darkness. And they said, oh, stubborn children, you're not following my plan. You set out and you went right back to the very darkness that I pulled you out of. Anybody ever prayed that prayer before? Lord, here I am again, going right back to the very darkness that you've already pulled me out of. Stubborn children. They won't listen to me. They won't trust me. And he says here, Without asking for my direction, you did this, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. And then Isaiah 31, verse 1, look what it says here. Woe to those who go down to Egypt. In other words, woe to those who do this, who don't trust God, who don't believe in God's power to save them, who don't just rely on God in your darkness and repent and turn back to Him, but you find so many other ways to get out of your darkness. He said the problem is this, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Woe to you. And so this is the failure that that Israel has done. They don't trust the Word of God, right? This is important because there's many of us as Christians today who do not trust the Word of God. He says here, they don't trust the Word of God. They act as if God's hand is shortened and He has no power. Keep reading with me in verse 2 of Isaiah 50. He says, is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? He got God up here looking like a T-Rex. God ain't T-Rex. God got long arms, mighty arms, powerful arms. He said, my arm is not shortened that I can't. Redeem you that I can't deliver you. And then look what he says next. He says, Or have I no power to deliver? Because that's what you act like whenever you go back to the darkness from which I drew you out of. And then look what he says in the end of verse three or verse two. Behold, in other words, look at this. Since you seem to think I don't have no power, since you seem to think I can't deliver you from your darkness, behold, by my rebuke I dry up the sea. You ran to Egypt, but what did I do to deliver you from Egypt? I dried up the Red Sea and you walked across on dry land. You forgot about that power. Or I make the rivers a desert. The Jordan River that was flooding its banks that kept you from going in the promised land, what did God do? He made it into a desert. He dried it up so that a million or more walked across on dry land and then keep going. He says, I make their fish stink for lack of water. And then he says, and die of thirst. Here he's talking about in Egypt when he, whenever he uh, killed the fish in the Nile River. And now he goes to the darkness in Egypt. In verse 3, I clothe the heavens with blackness. In other words, think back on all the things that I have proven to you that I can do to save my people. You have no reason not to put your faith and trust in me and you have no reason not to believe my word when I tell you something. But yet you won't listen, yet you won't believe. When I come to you with warning and tell you what's going to happen, you don't believe. I tell you that judgment is coming, you don't believe. You still live as if judgment ain't coming. I tell you that you need to repent and turn back to me. You don't repent and turn back to me because you don't actually believe. I'm going to do anything about it. Well, just hang on. (laughs) Just hang on. You'll find out soon enough. And I'll look at you and I'll say, all stubborn children. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? You knew my power. You knew what I could do, and yet you didn't listen to me. Keep going with me. Let's go to the next part. Um, The servant's success. We're going to listen to the servant's success. Look what, um, in verse 4, he says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Now the first thing is that we need to listen to this servant. He's been talking to Israel up to this point, right? He's been saying, why when I came did you not listen? Why uh, when I came uh, you were sold for your iniquities, your transgressions? But now notice the pronoun changes because now we're talking about an individual. In verse 4 he says, the Lord has given who? Me. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. Now we're looking at the servant again and the servant, Israel failed, the servant's going to get it right. He says, The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught. In other words, God has given this servant a teaching tongue. He knows how to give the Word of God in such a way that it'll save, that it'll lead, that it'll guide, that it'll direct, and it'll redeem. God has given this servant this tongue, and so we should listen to him. And he says... He's given it to me that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. In other words, when you're in darkness and you don't understand what's going on or why you're there, who do you need to listen to? Listen to this, servant. God's given me a tongue and God's given me a word that I know how to sustain the one that's weary in his time of darkness. I know how to help you through this time that you can't see no light at the end of your tunnel. And then he goes on and he says, Here's how he did it. Here's how God has given him this. Morning by morning, what does God do to him? He awakens. Morning by morning, day after day, he awakens and he awakens what? My ear. And what does he awaken his ear to do? To hear. Morning after morning, here's what this servant does. He goes to the Word of God. And he has ears to hear. And he goes to it with a measure that he expects to make sure that he's going to be running over and overflowing with this Word. And because he does this, God has given him now a tongue to be able to teach those that are taught, that that are in darkness, that are weary. And then notice what he says happens because of this in verse 5. He's successful because of this. The Lord God has opened my ear. And I was not rebellious Remember that's what Israel was right The servant is not The servant is going to succeed Where Israel failed. He said the Lord has opened my ear He's heard the word of God He believes the word of God He trusts the word of God And he follows the word of God And because of that He says I was not rebellious Look what he says next I turn not backward This is a success story right I fulfilled the mission that God gave me to do because I heard the word of God. How often did he hear it? Morning after morning. Day after day he kept going back. And then because of that, even in the midst of his own darkness, he did not stop and he did not quit. Look at verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike it. And then he says, and I gave my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. And I don't have time to go over these scriptures this morning, but pulling out the beard was such a sign of disgrace. It was a sign of defeat. And he said, even though I wasn't defeated, even though I wasn't disgraced, I gave my back to those who thought they defeated me. I gave my cheeks and my beard to those who pull it out because they thought they shamed me and they disgraced me. They kept trying to accuse me of wrongdoing over and over again. And then look what happens. I hid not my face from disgrace and from spitting. Now, all these things they're trying to do, they're trying to disgrace him, but they can't do it. Why can't they do it? Because he trusts in the promises of God. What are those promises? Look at verse 7. What does this servant trust in the promise of God in his darkness? The Lord God does what? He helps me. See, some of you this morning, this may not mean much to you because you don't know what darkness is. God bless you. God bless you. I'm thankful for you. But let me tell you something. If you ever face darkness in this life, you're going to need to know with certainty that God will help you. You're going to need to cling to this promise with everything in you. You will be on your knees Pleading with God to fulfill this promise in your life. God, I need you to help me. This servant, he trusts God. He follows God. He's obedient to God. And because he fulfills all of God's commands, all of God's promises are his to claim. Now the problem with that is this. You and I, how good are we at fulfilling all of God's commands and obedient to God in every way? So you and I, have no real claim to any of these promises in and of ourself. But the servant, he does not fail in God's mission. And he follows God's word to a T. And because he fulfills it in every way, he is able to claim these promises and know that God will indeed help me. God will help me. Let's look at a few of the more promises that he claims. In verse 8, look what he says. He says, He vindicates me. Vindicate means to clear someone of blame or wrongdoing. All of this darkness that's coming against me is because somebody is accusing me of wrongdoing in some way. Don't you know that's why they beat Jesus? The Jews came to Him and said, Oh, you blaspheme. But did Jesus blaspheme? No. They're trying to disgrace him. They're trying to shame him. Do you know why the majority of you as Christians are in the darkness that you're in? It's because you have an adversary that stands before your father right now and says, he only loves you because you did this for him. But I bet if you let me touch his family, he'll turn on you. He'll curse you to your face. He accuses you day and night. And he tries to prove you to be wrong in some way. And because of that, here's what he needs to know. And here's the promise that you need to understand. He vindicates me. He clears me of all wrongdoing. Not because of what you've done, but because of what this servant has done for you. He vindicates me. Let's look at the next promise in verse 8. He is near. How many of you need to know in your darkness? Have you ever felt in your darkness like, God, where are you? This servant right here, Yes, on the cross, what did he cry out from the Psalms? My God, my God, why have you? And yet here he claims the promise and he knows that as he gives his beard to those to be plucked out and as he gives his face to be spat on and smacked and as he gives his back to those who strikes him, yet he knows the one who vindicates me is near. He's near. He's with me. He's not that far. And you're going to need to know that promise in your suffering and in your darkness. And then look at the next promise in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, Behold, the Lord God helps me. Here's the other promise. He helps me in my darkness. He's not just near. He helps me in my promise. And then notice what he says next. Who will declare me guilty? In other words, He justifies me. This is where Paul got all of his promises of Romans chapter 8. I don't know if you know this or not, but Romans chapter 8 is nothing more than a sermon that Paul preached on Isaiah chapter 50. He is near me. He vindicates me. He justifies me. And if God be for me, what? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And if God declares you not guilty and He will give you His only Son, is there anything that He will not freely give you? This is how we know that God is everything that He says He is and we can trust Him and we can trust His Word. And so the servant trusts God and the servant receives the promises of God. Whereas Israel thought God had short arms. Israel thought God had no power. The servant, on the other hand, knows God has all power. And he trusts Him. So, in closing... The last thing is the servant's command that we see. Listen to the servant's command in verse 10 through 11. <clears throat> Look at the servant's command. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Remember, the servant has the words of God, right? So obey the voice of the servant. So who among you? Because he's talk, now he's coming back to Israel. He's still talking to the ones that said, God has forsaken me, God don't love me, God has turned his back on me and I'm in my darkness forever, and there's no good that'll ever come. We're hopeless. And here he comes, and he says, no, he's not. Matter of fact, who among you fears him, and who among you will listen to the words of his servant that God has given him? Here's what the command is for you to do. Then let him who walks in darkness and has no light, because is that not where Israel is? then let him who walks in darkness and has no light. Now, he's not talking about just every hopeless person. He's talking about people who feel hopeless, yet they fear God and they follow Jesus, right? Have you ever been there? You fear God and you follow Jesus, but you just can't see no light. And here he says, let him who walks in darkness and has no light, what should you do? Trust in the name of the Lord and rely, lean on his God. In other words, imitate what I did in my time of darkness. Imitate what the servant did. And again, I hope you never have to face great darkness. But I'm sorry to tell you this, if you hadn't already faced it, it's coming. I hope you never have to lose a loved one. But I'm sorry to tell you this, if you hadn't already felt it, it's coming. I hope some of you never have to to face the loss of a child. But I'm sorry to tell you this, it's possible for you that it may be coming. Darkness is all over this world, and it's not God's fault. It's our fault. But God promises that at the end of this darkness, there is a light that the darkness will not overcome. And so let the one who walks in darkness right now and just can't see no light, trust the Lord. Don't you quit trusting God. He is trustworthy, He has long arms, and He has great power. Trust the Lord and lean on Him. Go to His Word morning after morning like the servant did and grab up them promises and claim them. Lord, I fear Your name. Lord, I follow Your servant. Lord, I belong to You and I know that You are trustworthy. And I claim these promises not because I have done anything, but because the servant has done everything for me. And so we trust the servant. But then look what the other outcome is in verse 11. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, in other words, they're in darkness too, right? But instead of relying on the Lord and trusting on God and putting their hope and looking forward to Him, Instead of that, what do they do in the darkness? They try to kindle their own fire. They go to Egypt. They go back to darkness. They go back to their alcohol. They go back to their their dope. They go back to all the things that are the darkness that God brought them out of. And they try to kindle their own fire. Y'all stay with me. They try to kindle their own fire. And when they do that, look what happens. They try to equip themselves with burning torches. Here's what He tells them to do. Here's the servant's command for you. Go ahead and walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled because this you have from my hand, but here's going to be the result. And what is it? You shall lie down in torment. There's only two choices. Only two choices in how you respond to darkness in this world. You can either believe that God has forsaken you, that it's all God's fault, and that there is no hope for you, that there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Or you can look at what the servant has done for you. And you can trust that the Lord God is near. You can trust that the Lord God will save you. You can trust that the Lord God will help you. And you can trust that He is Worthy to lean on through all of the trials and troubles of this world. And whatever the devil wants to throw at you, he will help you get through it. In closing, <clears throat> you have this on your guide. The servant of God has come and he has fulfilled all the, uh, God's requirements for all of mankind. He died unjustly to pay for our transgressions and save us. And now the question is, will you believe it and will you confess it? If you will, then righteousness is yours by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and in all God's promises are His, and they are all yours through Christ Jesus. Can I give you one more scripture before I close? Romans chapter 10. I think it is verse 4 maybe. Yes. For Christ is the end of what? The law for righteousness. Remember, all of Israel, the Old Covenant, their requirement was to follow the do's and don'ts, right? But Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Why? Because Christ has fulfilled it. Christ pleased God in it. He has fulfilled it to the T. But look at what verse 5 says. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. That's how you get life. Is by doing the commandments. But look what he says in verse 6. But the righteousness that is based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. In other words, don't say that you're... Because this is what Moses told told them when he gave them the law. He said, don't say in your heart, how am I going to get the word of God so that I can follow it? I don't know what it is. He says, yes, you do. I just gave it to you. And here he says the same thing. Now the law that God has given you, the righteous is based on faith. Don't say in your heart who's going to go get it from God. No, it's near you. Don't say who's going to bring Christ down. And then look at verse 7. Or who's going to descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, it's so far away. But what does it say? The word is what? It's near you. It's in your mouth. And it's in your heart. You want life? You want righteousness? You want to follow the Lord? The Word is in your mouth. It's near you. And what is the Word? It's a Word of faith that they proclaim. Look at verse 9. Because here is the here's the command of the servant for you this morning. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Adonai, that He is Lord. In other words... He is the sovereign ruler and why is he? Because he got all the blessings that Israel was supposed to get to follow the law. He is the king of all kings. He is the one that gets the promised land. He is the one that reigns over the promised land. He is the one that God is with and God helps and God gives all his power to. So he says, if you will confess that with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Guess what the promise of God for following this law is? You will be saved. All the promises of God belong to Jesus because He fulfilled the law. And all those promises will belong to all those who are in Jesus and confess Him as Lord and you will be saved. And so, if you've got your outline, my questions that I close with this morning What promises from God's Word do you need to believe in this morning? This morning. If you fear God and you obey the voice of the servant, what promise of God do you need to believe in? Do you need to claim this morning? Do you need to trust in? And then maybe it's for salvation. Maybe you're just one of those that doubt your salvation all the time. Anybody? Just all the time doubt your salvation. God, I don't even know if I'm really saved. Do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God raised Him from your dead? Do you fear God? Do you obey the voice of the servant? Do you follow Jesus as His disciple? Then I tell you, the Bible, the Word of God says you will be saved. And let me tell you something. Is His arm too short that He can't do it? Is He without power that He don't have enough to accomplish it? Because that's what you say when you say, My sin is too much! You don't believe His Word. You don't trust His Word. And if you keep trying to do that, I'm telling you, you're going to be destroyed in the end. And so what promise of God do you need to believe this morning? Maybe it's help in your darkness. Maybe you need to believe and understand that He is near. Maybe you need to know that He's going to vindicate you. That He's going to justify you. What sin brought to your attention this morning from His Word do you need to repent from? Do you need to avoid? You need to repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for my unbelief. God, I'm sorry for believing that your hand is too short. God, I'm sorry for believing that that my sin is too great for you to deliver me from. God, I'm sorry for my unbelief. Maybe this morning there's a prayer from this word that you need to pray this morning. And and you pray, and and you pray, God, help me to claim these promises. God, help me to fear your name and to walk in obedience to the servant's voice. God, help me to put my faith and trust in this servant and in your power. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray this morning. And finally, what is it that you learn about God in this that, that gives you reason to praise this morning? You say, God, thank you that you are near to me in my darkness. God, thank you that you vindicate me and that you justify me in spite of all my wrongs. God, thank you that your servant got it right where I get it wrong. God, thank you that He is my King, that He is my Lord, that He is my Adonai, my Supreme Ruler. And thank you that all of your promises are mine because of Him. This morning, the Word of God has been declared to you. And with whatever measure you decided to put out there and listen to it, that's the measure that you will go home with. My question is this, how will you respond to it? The Word of God, when it is heard, always demands a response of some kind. How do you respond to this Word this morning? Is there a promise you need to claim in your life? Is there a prayer you need to pray? Is there a sin you need to avoid? Is there a praise that you need to praise this morning because of what God has spoke to you in His Word? Whatever it is that He has said, now is your time to respond. So if you would stand this morning, because I'm about out of voice. God got me through it, didn't he? Thank you. He helped me. While they're coming, I remember Miss Christine Morris. Y'all, my, some of y'all may not remember her, but she was a 90-something-year-old woman, one of the oldest members of our church. She fell one night at her house, laid there all night long, couldn't get up. <clears throat> Finally, somebody came by and saw the light on, and they said, um, that's not right. Ms. Morris don't usually leave that light on, and they stopped, and they found her laying in the floor, and they helped her up. I came and seen her that day, and, uh, or that next day when she got home from the hospital, and I came in there, I said, Ms. Ma- Ms. Christine, you, you laid there all night long. I said, that just I fit, it just broke my heart to think about her laying there all night long. She said, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> and I said, how in the world can you lay there all night long in the floor with not knowing if anybody's going to come by and help you And she said, I wasn't worried about that. I said, why not? She said, Kevin, God told me he would help me. And he did. And those words have stuck with me. When my dad died and I had to preach his funeral. I didn't know if I could preach it. I had to preach his funeral. I can remember those words wrong in my head. Kevin, the Lord told me that he would help me. And he did. That's a promise that she claimed, and that's a promise that God kept.